the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you, and I hope you have a uh, a great weekend. We're headed into the weekend, so um, a lot happening uh, one week uh, one weekend away from uh, Christmas weekend. So I'm sure people will be busy. Uh, that'll be great. All right. Um, we had a, an, an important conversation yesterday when we talked in What You Need to Know, the Daily Wink, about the uh, budget, which is going forward, as I said, massive budget. There was an extension for about a week, and then they'll work on the bigger budget um, as expected. So it's massive. It's huge. And there's lots of pork in it, as uh, I guess, as usual, but this time very explicit. So we'll keep a watch on that and come back to it. Uh, but then then again, let me remind you, please go to ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up there for the daily email. If you don't get the daily email at 8 a.m. East Coast, 5 a.m. Pacific, you're missing out. The Daily Wink, what you need to know, W-Y-N-K comes into your inbox please go there and sign up also if you're on twitter at eagle ed martin is myself as well as over on all the other uh, uh, uh social media at ed martin is generally what i'm in and also uh, uh, facebook i think it's ed martin live okay um let's uh let's talk for a moment about the um the uh, there's what you need to know this morning is i want to point out to you how uh different the world is uh since donald trump And so I don't know if he gets the credit, the blame. I don't know if it's just uh, timing or, you know, just uh, serendipity. But the reality is there is a a targeting of, say, the term public people, public officials by others that's never been done before. Now, an example, a good example that we've talked a lot about in my mind is uh, General Flynn. General Flynn was, uh, as we now see, was had been the target of an effort to push him out of office as a national security advisor uh, for Donald Trump. And what became clear after the fact, uh, years later, was that there was uh, people who didn't want him in that office for political reasons. And then there were people that had professional reasons that I don't know how to say that worked for the Department of Justice, the FBI, that seemed to want him out. And then the media went along with it. The media really went along with it, meaning they didn't uh, there was no critical evaluation. You know, one way to say what happened with Mike Flynn was General Flynn, a decorated uh, army veteran, was with different political views than uh, the liberals. Uh, He was in office, but he had some issues. That's not what happened. What happened was the media savaged him and made all, took all kinds of the, the, the statements uh, from the uh, government and from the, the prosecution because I think they disagreed with his politics or at least disagreed with he served Trump. Maybe it's an imperfect example. But what I want to point out to you is what's changed dramatically is the public targeting of people who disagree on the political spectrum and disagree by being more on the right. And that is not just tolerated by the media, but promoted by the media. And instead of being criticized by the media, it is sort of rejoiced by the media. And so an example is in the last uh, 24 hours, there's been coverage of Rudy Giuliani, who has had his bar license in the District of Columbia challenged by a special 
they call it a prosecutor of the D.C. bar. So let's pause first and understand what we have here. When you're a lawyer, and I happen to be one too, when you take the bar exam for a state, and Rudy Giuliani, I assume, would have taken the New York bar, you sit for the bar. And when you sit for the bar, you sit for a long test. And the long test takes three, four, five hours. It depends on where you are. And you pass or fail. Um, you do get a score, I think. But mostly the most important thing is you pass or fail. A famous example is uh, um, um, John F. Kennedy Jr., the late John F. Kennedy Jr. He failed his bar a couple of times. It kind of made a lot of news. Uh, but generally, if you fail it once, uh, that's kind of a surprise. Uh, you know, 75 to 80 percent of the people pass in most states. And eventually, though, if you study and get your stuff together, you you pass it. So that's what you do. Well, certain jurisdictions like D.C. and other places, once you pass the bar in one place, say New York, you can either wave into D.C. You know, you go down, and you say, here, I passed up in New York. Can I come in here and practice? And and the, sometimes they let you. D.C. is one that has has allowed that. Sometimes they don't. If you want to go to California to practice, you have to pass the bar there. There's no waving in. But basically, uh, being a member of the bar in a location is your sort of permission slip to go into court. And if you try to go into court without having the permission slip, you get in a little bit of trouble. And sometimes you have to hire a local counsel so he can be your official uh, permission slip holder in the place. But that's what you have. So Rudy Giuliani, who's been practicing law for 50 years, 45, 50 years, he was a prosecutor in uh, New York City for a long time. Um, he was a U.S. attorney. Uh, well, that's a prosecutor role. He was in private practice. The D.C. bar, after the 2020 election, decided that his legal advice and how he gave his legal advice to Donald Trump was suspect. And they've charged him with sort of a dereliction of your duty and you put into question his D.C. bar license, his permission slip. Now, I have to tell you, there's a lot of misconduct by lawyers, a lot of mistakes, actually. Forget about misconduct, mistakes that they make, uh, big mistakes sometimes, and mistakes where cases get overturned. You know, you have somebody who's representing someone in a criminal case. They, they make some mistake in there, and they and you don't get your license pulled. You don't get challenged on your poor judgment. You sometimes get in trouble and you get a reprimand. But in general, the idea is you have a permission slip to be in court here, and you, you know, if you if you make a mistake in judgment, well, that's that unless it rises to a certain level, it's not something we charge you with. In the case of Giuliani, he's clearly charged with having had the judgment to challenge election cases in 2020. And they say they're bad election cases. Again, the number of lawyers who you know decide to file a lawsuit and it's not a good lawsuit and ends up being dismissed or thrown out. That, that there's a lot of them. I mean, there's just dozens and dozens, hundreds, too many. But they're not brought in and had their light having their license challenged. So, for example, say you're a lawyer and you you're, you know, get a client comes in. And he says, I, I hurt my back in a car accident. And uh, he says, well, I'm going to file a suit for you. And he says, you know, the car accident went here, there and the other thing. And it turns out that when you file the suit, something comes out that there was no accident. Somebody was lying. Well, the lawyer made a mistake. Shouldn't have filed that case. Should have done more to prove to figure out that there were facts. But you don't get charged by the bar for losing your license. And again, here's the shift. Rudy Giuliani is having his bar license challenged. So is Sidney Powell. So are others across the country. But they're being targeted by an effort of people who oppose Trump. This is known that the group talks about it. We're challenging people who helped uh, try to challenge the election. They announced this. This group announced it. They raised money. And they said, we're going to do this. And the bar, the D.C. bar and other bar uh, have joined with that instinct. 
Now you could say, well, if you if you like this idea, you say, well, they, they really did something wrong. My answer to you is you, you're not paying attention to how this works. This is not this doesn't rise to the level of the attack that they're doing. But here's what's happening. The media is covering it as if it's an accurate argument instead of covering it as targeting someone for their judgment. And and the real purpose, the real effect, let me say that. I can't read their mind to know the purpose. The effect of this kind of thing is to raise the cost, both real cost and sort of occupational and emotional, et cetera, of being on the wrong side of the powers that be. And so when the media joins in what can, what in my estimation, my description is this is targeted prosecution with a small P for bar licenses and other prosecutions, actually full prosecutions and, and lawfare, as we call it, lawsuits being used against people. It's targeted. And, and the real shame in this is not only that that's happening. That's bad enough. It's that we have a media and a, an establishment uh, media, establishment press, plus big tech, plus uh, universities and others that have, this is what I mean by Trump changed everything, are, are willing to stand by and say, yeah, that's okay. We don't mind. We don't mind that they're targeting uh, uh, you know, people because we know we're right. And so if you were with Trump, if you had the idea that the 2020 election wasn't perfect and you wanted to do something about it and you recognize that the way you generally do something in America is you don't just don't just yell about it. You go and see if there's a place where you can prove it in court. Well, we're going to we're going to make you pay a price for that big price. And if you're Rudy Giuliani, sort of at the end of your career with a lot of other um, a lot of other interests, you probably don't have a financial problem. His kids are grown. They're out of college. Um, You know, they're not he doesn't have the expenses that a normal person. But there's normal people. I can think of a couple, I won't mention their names, who are going through a similar kind of thing, and they got a much tougher road to hoe. They don't have Rudy Giuliani's uh, uh, financial stability. So that shift is what's unbelievable. And the final thing I'll say to point out to you, the way to understand this or to to just to put a, a kind of a cap on it, is Elon Musk in the last 48 hours um, had some issues where he was targeted. His family was targeted. His son, the people thought they had Elon Musk's car, and it turns out to be his son's uh, car, and they were driving somewhere, and the son was cornered, and the car was, uh, um, uh, somebody jumped on the hood or something, and it was kind of a scary security thing, and the police report was filed, and that's all normal. But at the same time, there was, a t- on Twitter, there was somebody who was um, tracking the plane that Elon, Musk's use, Elon Musk uses and put it up on uh, online instantly, like here's where he is. And so Musk said at Twitter, we're going to have a rule for everybody. And there's other rich people on Twitter, or rich people that are targeted. And it's going to be that if you have location, if you have an ability to put where someone is, we're going to have a delay on that. So if you know where Elon Musk's plane is, therefore where he is, you're going to have a delay. And that's going to be an, a part of the terms of services. So Musk announced that, warned everybody, and they p- kept doing it. And so he took the people off of Twitter who were doing that. So he warned, he said, this is a security hazard. And yes, it's aimed at me, but it still is a security hazard. Here's why we're making the decision. Please don't do that. They did it anyway. They got taken off of Twitter. Forget the name of the the Twitter uh, handle. But then journalists who um, I guess thought that was wrong decided that they would join in uh, appointing the same information out through third party, through uh, websites off of Twitter. And so they got suspended. And and they all did it over and over again. They all did it was like an exercise and look at how cool we are. We're going to join in. So you say it's a violent issue of a fear of violence. We say we don't care and we're going to promote it. And they all got suspended. And now they're yelling about being suspended. And my point is the media should be on the side of saying, what's wrong with these people? In my opinion, 
And instead, they're on the side of suddenly Elon Musk is a bad guy. I mean, not suddenly, but more. more this is proof that he's a bad guy. And I have to tell you again, the, the, the shift in our country, and it did happen. It happened starting in 2016 from being able to have these uh, uh, entities, organizations, institutions that we could trust the media, uh, you know, serious academic intellectual. Maybe we should have never trusted them, but it seemed like we could. They're not even trying now. And so what you need to know is the targeting of people who disagree on on an issue and not just the targeting to say you're wrong. We don't like you. That would be free speech. But you're wrong. Therefore, we're going to target you with occupational attacks. Rudy Giuliani, physical attacks, Elon Musk's son. And and let me be clear that there, this happens on the left, too. I, I, you know, this there are examples concretely of, of, of this happening on the left, too. But the question is, why is it that the rest of these institutions have so abandoned the notion of saying, hey, what's wrong with this? This is, you know, this is um, this is not appropriate. It's ex- it's extraordinary. And it, it it's a bit haunting because you're headed into an era where there's a lot of power in a lot of places. Uh, you know, uh, you could you make an example. And I haven't even done it on this one uh, of this you know, wink of what you need to know is Donald Trump, when you have a prosecutor run for office in New York, Letitia James uh, runs for attorney general and says, I, I not here's what I think happened. But when I get in office, I'm going to find a way to indict Donald Trump and his family. That's now a little bit. Some of that's campaign rhetoric. Again, I think it's probably protected, protected speech, but some of it should. And, and some of it is disturbing and should be disturbing. Because the power of law enforcement, the power of the massive size and scope of government, especially federal government, is bigger than ever. Scary stuff. All right, we got to run. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I have been intrigued and very pleased now to have our next guest. I, I've been intrigued by the um, by the uh, um, um, the situation that has developed, I'll say like that, where the FTX CEO, Sam Bankman-Fried, has um, clearly had major trouble in his life and uh, has been um, now is now doing a, a, t- a tour of interviews, uh, quite extraordinary, actually, because I think he's in more trouble than uh, than he's letting on. And so um, I think he did George Stephanopoulos. And I mean, it's just incredible to see. Um, and so we have a uh, former federal prosecutor, uh, John O'Connor, who has agreed to come on. And uh, he has a background uh, that would fit what's happening in terms of what is what has somebody done, at least to describe the range of what you could be uh, in trouble for. And so uh, he's got a book called The Mysteries of Watergate, What Really Happened? Uh, Postgate, How the Washington Post Betrayed Deep Throat. Uh, covered up Watergate and began today's partisan advocacy journalism. And he's also um, a former assistant U.S. attorney in Northern California. So welcome, sir, to the program. How are you? Hey, good to be with you, Ed. Uh, first, um, that the title of your book, which I didn't get a chance to look at more closely, um, the you, you refer to began today's partisan advocacy journalism. I guess my first question, I mean, you're an attorney, which means you've done enough uh, uh, education. You know, you've been through law school. You've been uh, around and seen a lot. I should say you're you know, you're not a kid. You practice law for three or four, almost four decades or more. Um, 
when did it when did we have a journalism that was was not advocacy maybe it wasn't partisan uh, is that what you mean or you know i when I, you get what i'm saying was it really better in, 19, in the 1970s or 80s well, it was actually it was well, <laughs> it was better before 1972. Let's put it that way. Okay. Where people made an attempt to state the facts. Now you may have Walter Cronkite might might have a wiggle of an eye or an expression that might show he likes one set of facts better than the other. But he made an attempt not to make his opinions known. He made an attempt to appear fair, uh, and. That's at least was the spirit of journalism before this, that the whole idea was to say all the facts, to at least let all the facts be out there and then hopefully to have a lively discussion about them through uh, through advocates, uh, for instance, on shows like Crossfire on debate shows. Right, right. But 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 things changed after Watergate. And remember, before Watergate, tabloid journalism uh, was considered second rate, was trashy. The Drew Pearson type of stuff, Jack Anderson investigations were considered low class. Hmm. Now what we've got is, uh, after Watergate, great, investigative journalism, whatever that is, it's really prosecutorial journalism, now becomes in vogue. But think about it. If your goal in investigative journalism, so to speak, is to get a target, and that's really what it's about, uh, that's really the stated purpose, Mm -hmm. is let's uncover something that is bad. Well, you get your Pulitzers and your wealth from hitting a target, from getting a scalp. Right. It changed everything. Now that's cool. Now what you are is you're a celebrity, the way Bernstein and Woodward were. Uh You have a movie, you have a book, uh, you're considered the last authority on things. Uh, everybody wants your opinion as to what's true and false. That's not the goal of a journalist. Yeah. And uh, or should it be its job? But then what happened is everybody emulates this. If you're going to do this, you have to pick sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, in Watergate, uh, it was a very popular side to go against. Everyone loved the idea of uh, getting this surly guy in the White House, Nixon, mm-hmm. uh, even though he was actually a fairly moderate president. He wasn't really very conservative at all. A very moderate president, but he had personal qualities that many people didn't like, and he had been that way through his whole career. And so he made a great target, uh, a sort of a television-type villain that, that that looked guilty. So that's where it all started. Yeah. And uh, and and then we went from there. Yeah. Um, we're talking with John O'Connor and uh, a lawyer in private practice, a former prosecutor. I have to tell you, John, one of the things I, I in my notes I'm looking back at, it's so fascinating. You, you have a uh, you have a um, a website for Postgate book for the book that you wrote on Watergate. Uh, but it, within it is a podcast. And I think I looked I'm, I'm, I can't remember it now, but it was over about a, almost a year where you went um, bite by bite and basically went through Watergate. I, I mean, I think the first episode was, uh, you know, about who the play- first episodes are, who the players are. And um, it's almost say a way to uh, I don't know, it's kind of a, a, a oral history. That's not the right phrase. It's almost like you, your crack at history 
in a way, I, I guess what you're doing is you already did the book and you're trying to get it out in as many ways as you can, but it's much more, uh, you're not just reading the book, you're, you're talking about what's gone on. It's, I, I only listened to two of the episodes for parts of them, but it's, it's pretty effective. And I wonder what your thought is. I mean, if you, if, if there's fake news everywhere now, and I think there is, most people feel that, um, it, there's also fake history almost everywhere. And you, pro- you probably look around and say, oh, oh, I know. I'm sorry, John. I'm now rambling. But uh, I had a guest on the other day. There's a new book from a Yale University professor. She's highly credentialed about the FBI, and she basically just whitewashes all of Hoover's, not his eccentricities, forget about what he was doing in his private life, what he was doing with the FBI. And she's writing history. She's a history professor at Yale. So when you did this sort of podcast follow-up to your book, I mean, do you have any hope that there'll be a real history of what went on at Watergate? Because most people have an impression, like they do January 6th, like they do uh, the Mueller investigation that is not completely copacetic, I think. Well, that's right. Right. Look, right now, if you want the best history of what really happened in Watergate, read my last book, The Mysteries of Watergate, What Really Happened, because that's what I try to do. I try to tell people the real story and what wasn't printed because it was completely different than what was printed. And I tell how they could get away from that. Um I, I tell how they could uh, uh, get get uh, over on the public that way, mm-hmm. and they were very effective at it. They were very very effective in in I tell how they were able to do it in keeping very important facts from the public, facts that people don't know today. Now they're out there. You can go out and cherry pick them here, there, and the other place. But that's why I put everything in one place and did it in a coherent way and then put an explanatory wrapper around it as to why, for instance, the CIA would be involved in Watergate and so forth. Um, But the reason I did it was to show how it is that that a... um, and a topic as important as Watergate, the only time in history that a president has been removed, and it was really a, a journalistic uh, a pooch uh, here, mm-hmm. how, how that happened. And it happened on the basis of very much incomplete information. And it's a very scary thing. I mean it as a cautionary tale. But 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 there is false history. So what happens is now we have a battle. The Post is trying as much as it can to deplatform me. I mean, people are terrified of the Post's wrath if they give me too much attention uh, on this book or if they give the book too much attention. I don't care about me. The, the, Washington, but, the Washington Post, you mean, because it exposes them, right? Right, exposes yeah. them. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, the way I read it, there's a new book that came out, for instance, Watergate, a new history by Garrett Graf, the, that he wrote in conjunction with the Post clearly and then the post praised it when it came out but in every inflection point that i point out you know maybe there i'm just i'll count maybe 60 or 70 different facts and maybe uh 10 or 12 very important ones uh, the guy deliberately whitewashes or ignores them and skips by them and gets into other things. And then the Post uh, praises him by saying, uh, uh, gee, this is so important because this book shows that there are certain things we just can't learn at all because, gee, a lot of witnesses are dead and we're never going to know some of these mysteries. But boy, uh, he did a great job on this history. And now 
now history's all wrapped up and we can forget about Watergate now. This is the complete story. Well, it's not. It's <laughs> This book was put out precisely to combat what I am saying now. Uh, now, there have been some other people that preceded me that told part of the story, and they were really wonderful. A guy named Jim Hogan had a brilliant book back in 1984 uh, an, uh, called uh, Secret Agenda, and a fellow named Len Kolodny had one called Silent Coup, which had portions of the real story uh, in their books and brilliantly conceived, by the way. I, I put everything together in my book, some of it derivative, some of it my own work, uh, and, um, and, but all of it factual. Um, John, I, I don't want to lose this time because we're already going long. Um, I want to ask you about Sam Bankman-Fried. Now, again, to set this up, John O'Connor, we're talking about his writings on uh, on uh, Watergate because he's, uh, I'd say, a historian on it, but he's also a practicing lawyer and represented lots of big-name folks and, and, and names you wouldn't know in complex litigation and negotiations and such. Have you, First of all, have you ever seen someone, Sam Bankman-Fried, who clearly had something major wrong with what his business was doing, go on a PR tour like he's doing? I mean, this is another example of how crazy the world is he's out talking about what happened when i think he should be lawyered up and being quiet but i don't know what what's your thoughts well remember all the statements he's making are very broad in general okay. he is out there even though his lawyers are probably wetting their pants right <laughs> the, what he's trying to do is he knows he's in, in criminal jeopardy and so he, he keeps announcing more and more that i didn't know I wasn't aware. Uh, all sorts of criminal defenses. Gee whiz. I didn't realize how bad things were. I didn't realize this was going on. I, just just this failure of controls. All of these things are criminal defenses. He knows he screwed up. However, what's very hard to get around is the fact that Alameda, the research firm, was using investors' chips Mm -hmm. that were held in FTX, you know, right, right. A, a person thinks his his stuff is safe over at FTX and it's held in an account. Well, he's lending that, just rating it, basically having Alameda rate it. Or as Caroline Ellison, the head of Alameda said, who, by the way, lived with Sam Bankman Fried, was his uh, amour. Uh, she said, well, we dipped into the uh, finances of FTX. Well, that's fraud. You're taking somebody's money and you're gambling. It's like me saying, gee, Ed, you know that account you had invested with me on yeah. your stock trading fund? <laughs> right. Well, I, I, I lent it to my brother-in-law, who's a great sports better, and he's been in Vegas betting it. And, you know, things didn't turn out well. And I guess, gee whiz, I, I, I kind of lost track of what was happening. Right. You know, right. that. I'm sorry. If he knows that anything from FTX was pledged against Alameda trades or was lent to Alameda, he's toast. Right. That's fraud, right. plain and simple. So if he knew that simple fact <laughs> and he's living with the woman who headed Alameda, the two firms were intertwined, then he's he's committed fraud. Now, the other thing here, Ed, is that you have eight billion with a B dollars missing, according to the very capable lawyer who's now heading things up for the defunct uh, organization. They're missing. Well, it might not be eight billion, but they're missing billions. Mm -hmm. And so that's a big problem. Uh, something's gone somewhere. Uh, there is a report that three hundred million dollars was invested in Bahamas uh, real estate where Sam Bankman Fried and his girlfriend lived. So how much of this was really for his own personal use and benefit? 
that's probably my, a minor problem for him right. compared to yeah. simply dipping into his investor funds to to fund speculative ventures by Alameda. So he's toast. He's going to get who, who, who takes this case up? I mean, who where's the jurisdiction for it? Is it because it's a I mean, so who do you think is it takes the first crack at it? Well, that's a good question, because um, <laughs> there's going to be a fistfight over this because so many prosecutors are going to want it, both local and federal, because these are local crimes if they're committed in a jurisdiction. They're also federal crimes, uh, mail and wire fraud. Uh, But what I would say is uh, I'd have to look and I haven't looked at this where the United States locus is of the funds. If it's New York, it'd be prosecuted in New York. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was in the Bahamas. He ran the thing from the Bahamas. So then the next question would be, where did he sort of where where his is? closest place of entrance and exit to the United States, you could do it that way. Mm. In other words, if he was coming into the country through Florida and kind of came back and forth through Florida, maybe Florida's the right venue. Um, you know, where were the funds held? Maybe in New York. So there's going to be a uh, there, there can be a lot of states, let me put it this way, and the District of Columbia that can claim this as the fraud having occurred in their jurisdiction. In fact, there may be many. It's not just one. I mean, you can commit fraud that involves 12 yeah, states. Right, Still, 12 right. prosecutors can get you. But <laughs> yeah. but clearly the federal government can get them. Mm. Uh, and, and, of course, you've got investor fraud. You've got selling securities uh, fraudulently. But you just have basic mail fraud here, wire fraud. So I think the guy is toast, Ed. I don't think there's any doubt about it. And this is a, a very remarkable tour. But you notice he doesn't ever explain exactly why it is he didn't know these things yeah. or what went wrong that a, a person would say, oh, that's reasonable for you not to know that. Or I understand how you didn't know that. Yeah. It's difficult for me to believe or anybody to believe that he didn't know at least the basics. Yeah. Yeah. That that's the a- trades at Alameda were being financed by FTX. Yeah. OK. Uh, John O'Connor, I got to run, unfortunately. John O'Connor, thank you very much. Uh, attorney uh, at law now and a former prosecutor and an author. I'll put all this up on uh, social media. Postgatebook.com is his website with lots there. There, It's very cool about uh, his book and the mysteries of Watergate and other things. So thanks, John, for the time. Good talking to you, Ed. Take nice care. Nice talking to you. Thank you. We'll See take ya. a break, everybody, and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Don't forget, I'll put up on social media links to all of those sites uh, for uh, Mr. John O'Connor and his books. Very interesting. Really interesting. I'm interesting on the topic we talked about, FTX, but uh, his background and what he's done, especially this podcast on Watergate. So, all right, we'll be right back. Ed Martin, Pro-America Report, back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a national volunteer organization founded by Phyllis Schlafly and continuing to uphold her legacy by opposing radical feminism and representing a traditional conservative perspective in our nation's capital. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. San Francisco is a den of GOP-hating Democrats, and now they're turning their own rampant crime and drug use into an ambush of Republicans nationwide. The evidence concerning the attack on Paul Pelosi should have been released to the public before desperate Democrats could spin it into their hottest new marketing ploy. As President Trump observed on a radio station interview, the whole thing is crazy. The cops were standing there practically from the moment it all took place. So you're going to have to explain that to your audience, including me. As Trump knows, cops usually wear body cams and 911 calls are always recorded. 
It would not be hard to facilitate an informed discussion about what really happened in the wee hours on that fateful night. A neighbor familiar with the security systems there expressed dismay at the lack of an alarm going off, if indeed a window was smashed by David DePap as alleged. Meanwhile, the employer of DePap said he never heard DePap talk against Nancy Pelosi. Elon Musk, focusing on San Francisco as he cleans house at Twitter, tweeted that there is a tiny possibility there may be more to this story than Democrats want to admit. Immediately, leftists rebuke Musk for merely hinting that authorities may not be telling the full story, as they increasingly fail to do, by the way. Musk deleted his tweet after liberals browbeat him, but the next day Musk fired the entire Twitter board of directors. Many are grateful to Musk for allowing some skepticism to flourish amid the clampdown by the media and the Biden administration against anyone who dares question their narrative. He set a good precedent with his own tweet about the Pelosi incident, showing that speech should not be suppressed on Twitter as it is nearly everywhere else. Questions are still swirling around what happened to Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband, and I'd be the last one to wish harm on anyone. However, if Democrats insist on weaponizing this headline, they're opening themselves up to a reasonable questioning of the circumstances. Leftist on leftist crime in a leftist state, thanks to leftist policies, shouldn't be blamed on conservatives. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. For 50 years, Mrs. Schlafly promoted grassroots efforts to rally conservatives. Today, you can harness the power of social media by going to phyllisschlafly.com and sharing these commentaries with friends across the country. Get started at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, I, I've, got a, um, I've got an offer for you, and I've got, uh, I've got something that I want to do uh, very much in the next month or so. You know, as the holidays come around, and by the holidays I mean the great Christmas, as well as, of course, uh, New Year's and all, but also uh, kids are home from school, uh, schedules a, a, a shift a bit. Um, I, I end up with a goal of trying to read more books, read more books. And so what I wanted to ask you to consider is send me your recommendations on books to read. Now, I, I do want your recommendation on books to read, but I also want um, you to send me, you know, n- not not the books you want me to read that are um, from, uh, you know, your childhood or something. I, oh, well, those recommendations are fine too, but especially new books, new books. A- and let me explain why. Over the past four or five years as I've done this radio show and the podcast that we turn it into, I have become more and more convinced of the incredible power and the incredible um, uh, persuasive nature of books. Now, I knew that before because I love books, but I, I, I came to know it in a, different, a new way, and here's, here's why. A lot of publishers, the ones that I really like and respect, and I'm going to go through a few of the names, um, they're being creative about the books they're publishing. Right. They're publishing shorter books, longer books, different authors. They're uh, using the ebook format and audio books a lot. And there's just an incredible number of authors. And when someone, and I encourage you, if you think you're an author, if you're saying I might have a book in me, when you go to write a book, it, it sort of forces you to clarify what you think. And it's always, always helpful, in my opinion. 
helpful for the writer, helpful for the reader. It doesn't make it easy, by the way. It doesn't make it easy at all. Writing is really hard, really, really hard for most people. I mean, some people say they're good writers and easy writers. I, I never really believe it. They may be ex- uh, experienced writers and therefore have a, a facility for it. They know what works for them and their voice, but still hard work. I remember the late Phyllis Schlafly for whom I worked and she wrote, I think the title, the total was over 32 books. Uh, her columns and essays she wrote for about 50 years every week. Every week she would write a column between 600 and 800 words, I think. And, and when she would write them, I would see her working on them on Sunday night for present presentation to the editor and the publisher on Monday. And she would just talk about how hard it was to write. In, and get ready for going forward, get, you know, looking forward. And so I just want to encourage you. And so here's a couple of the authors. Uh, you've heard me talk to uh, the guys at Regnery, Regnery Publishing, which is a part of Salem. And there's a guy named Tom Spence, who is the top guy over at uh, Regnery Publishing. And he's talked to me. We had a long conversation, uh, I don't know, six months ago, about how powerful and how different the industry was for him and he'd been in the industry for decades, seeing what was really working, meaning what people wanted to read. And in particular, uh, he works with um, Regnery, which is uh, owned by Salem Media. He said the the uh, the titles that were about uh, uh, Christian, uh, not just apologetics, but politics, were having a real interest. Anyway, wonderful guy, f- fascinating guy. Regnery's over there. Al Regnery, whose I think father or grandfather uh, founded Regnery, and Al ran it for a while. He started a nonprofit with another guy named Eric Campman, and and those two guys call it. It's it's, it's a nonprofit. Because they're being creative about how they can get the system to work. They're not in it. They're both at the uh, sort of um, latter part of long careers in the business. And it's called Republic Book Publishers. And it's been fascinating. Um, it's got a book. It's got a book. Um, Brandon Weikert on space is over there. It's been, he's been an, an eye opener for me. It's all he's they also have uh, in their Republic Book Publishing. They have. Um, the lieutenant governor of North Carolina has got his memoirs. Hey, extraordinary. Anthony, Anthony, Anthony Zaccardi over at Post Hill, publishing creative guys. Uh, Humanix, you know, Humanix has published a bunch, especially of uh, David Horowitz and then creative Tony Lyons. He's one of the guys that I've listened to a lot on my show. And he's at Skyhorse, of course, and on and on and on. There's a bunch of, there's a lot of them. There's, uh, there's a, a, a one, a publisher, Perucci, uh, Perucci Publishing, a fascinating book. So, and you go on. Uh, my friend Floyd Brown over at Liftable Media, he's published books out there. Um, you can make a list, and especially, of course, the famous ones. You've got um, Kimball, Roger Kimball at uh, Encounter. Adam Bello runs Bombardia. Um, and, you know, you could go on and on and on. And, uh, Sophia Institute, I'm looking at my list. Sophia Institute Press has been extraordinary. Moody Press does some great books. But my point is, you send me, my pr- present, my proposal to you is, send me your recommendations. If you have a book, and, and, uh, and let me say this, one of the greatest things that's happened in the last 10 years is the ability for people to self-publish. Now, I tend to think you self-publish best when you have editors that join you in the process, right? And and so you're not just you writing it, you put it together, you put it on, you know, uh, a self-publisher. You got to have people that will critically look at it, but it doesn't mean it has to be people in the industry that dominate the industry, you know, and or did in the past. It's shifting and it's been great. So if you have a book recommendation, you know, someone that has a book, send them to me, send the book titles to me, send a copy if you've got a copy or, you know, if you can, and I will, I'm going to try to read a lot of books. And in the beginning of the new year, I'm going to lay out a plan for the first maybe six months of making sure that we are interviewing great authors. And by great authors, I mean authors who worked hard to publish their books. They may be great books. I'll see. 
but it's it's very very important and very American and very special for us. Uh, I was reminded uh, Ronald Kessler, who's a, a prolific author, um, has been on the show and has been talking about how uh, big media is dominated by a certain number of booksellers, and that that's is what it is. But sometimes they're not telling the truth, uh, and I think we have more and more. If we're going to doubt the fake news. What the big media has done with fake news on cable TV, on uh, on, on network TV, you, you got to look closer at uh, the publishing and big media and what they've been telling us for a long time. Um, you know, Robert Kennedy Jr. in his books on Fauci and COVID has done more to lay wide open the corruption of science and scientific publishing, both. So there's a lot there. So send me your books. Send me your books. It's my project for the next four or five weeks as we head into a new year and uh, as we're in a new year. So uh, do that, okay? All right, we got to run. Well, thank you, as always, to Noah Dingley, uh, Ryan Height, our associate producer, who's been filling in some, too. And uh, thank you. And uh, please reach out and send me your titles. Uh, Ed at phyllisschlafway.com. I've told you before. And also through our website. Have a great day. We'll be back. Ed Martin, Pro-America Report. Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 